it's always a good idea to check yourself every so often. So I wanted to talk to an entrepreneur who's been looking at the space of the AI as someone who's bootstrapped their own businesses. James Benham, who's written a book on bootstrapping your business, joins me on this bonus episode of The Business of Tech. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, James, thanks for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here. It's... Uh... Exciting to be talking about entrepreneurship and business and tech with a fellow nerd who's nerdy enough to have a lot of really cool gadgets behind you that I recognize immediately. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a collector of fun things as well, so uh, always happy to geek out with a fellow geek. Oh, well, I appreciate that. My, my, I would be bad at my job if I did not have a cool studio to hang out in. So I'm going to dive right in because I actually want to sort of get your sense and your take on all the AI hype that's going on right now and, and get your, you know, get your position on where, what you think the value there is right now. AI is something that those of us who love science fiction and who have been writing code for longer than a, a 10 years have been talking about, thinking about, experimenting with uh, for a long time. The difference right now is the uptake rate. And the, the actual capabilities are, are finally to the point that they're surprising a lot of us who have been playing with subsets of AI, like, you know, uh, computer vision and speech to text and text to speech. And, you know, the, the, these are all components of specific forms of AI. What we've got now is some very easily consumable, consumer facing applications that perform remarkably well, not perfect as we've found out, but perform remarkably well. And so I think that uh, we are definitely hitting a specific stride in AI that is, uh, of course, I think catapulting us inexorably towards uh, general AI or the singularity. But that's that's uh, neither here nor there. What we have now is some very useful tools, ChatGPT, of course, being one of them. Uh, Microsoft Copilot, um, you know, where you're looking at Copilot for writing code. Now they're rolling Copilot for Windows, where you're going to have an AI buddy that actually helps you a little bit more than Clippy did back in the Microsoft Office days 20 years ago. You know, Clippy was their attempt at, at a conversational bot to help you get things done in Office. Now they've got a legitimate bot who can actually write your paper for you, help you edit it, um, help you chop it down in size, or help you beef up the content. It's really quite remarkable what. Uh, what's being done. And so, uh, you know, we, uh, are utilizing the, the heck out of s certain forms of, of AI. Like you can actually have AI write code for you code that would normally be a, a not important piece of code where you want to populate a data set and you don't want to take the time to do it. It used to take five hours. Now it takes 10 to 15 minutes. There's some really, really fantastic utilizations of, of AI that are, that are coming to, to bear through the, uh, through the chat interfaces. So now that, now that we've hit this point where adoption kind of has widely spread, what are you seeing practically? I mean, you you work with a, you know, a technology firm and you work with a lot of insurance companies. What are you seeing practically in the field on the business side that's actual implementations that you think are valuable? 
Um, well, first the lawyers are getting their hands on this. <laughs> and so they're, uh, they're trying to, to box in the acceptable and non-acceptable uses on this in a business environment, because what ended up happening is people realized how much this could write, like just the writing capabilities and people don't like to write things. And so they started copying and pasting a lot of, uh, not in our company, because we did not allow this, but they started copying and pasting a lot of sensitive content in without understanding the, the consequences. So certainly we've seen a lot of people using this to write papers, essays, reports, summaries, or to take them and edit them. You're all, I'm seeing a ton of usage around the, the use of this for sales emails, a lot of usage for sales emails and marketing emails. Uh, taking and polishing sales and marketing emails, which is a painstaking job. Um, they're, you know, you're using these these AI interfaces like editors, which is really really neat. And of course, you can you can create your own private instances so your data doesn't go into the general data set. Um, definitely seeing the use of this for writing code, you know, SQL code, JavaScript, .NET, you name it. This this puppy can write a lot of code. It's just another language, right? And, and in fact. Um, you know, I think we're going to see some some fascinating uses of the language translation and localization capabilities of a lot of this uh, this software. Uh, I went to a, a seminar recently from the Earth Species Project (ESP), where they talked about um, how all human large language models are fundamentally the same pattern. They took the top ten thousand words in every human language and they mapped them geometrically. So that words were connected to other words that were similar to them. And the maps in every language were identical. When you actually mapped it out graphically, it looked like a hand. And when they lined, the, when they lined all of those up, right, um, they could say that this word, Apple, was in the same place in every language. There's some fascinating things, I think, that are going to unlock the, the world around us that we really can't imagine. But there's some really super practical things that technology companies, of course, we see a lot of this. And it just manifests itself in the everyday slog that people have is editing emails, writing emails, editing papers, writing papers, um, writing code, editing code. You, uh, we, even, we even did a fascinating experiment where we took some really old Python code and we had it upgraded to the latest version of Python and then optimized the code. And it chopped, it chopped this much code down to this much and... It still and it compiled successfully in the latest version of Python. So I mean, it, it's able to do some really cool things that would normally take a couple, three weeks to do. Um, and so you know, it's it's a big deal, and it's a big disruptor for the knowledge industry. You know, when you have a lot of people who are copy editors or they're producing twenty or they're designers, they're producing twenty or thirty logo ideas, and you can you can kick that to an AI bot to actually generate your your logo ideas for you or right copy, this is going to be a very disruptive tool for knowledge workers in, a, in both a positive and potentially negative way. So what are, the, what are those concerns that you're really worried about? I mean, I, I, I'll just give my biases. Sorry, I mean, I don't think that we're actually going to be replacing people. I think we're going to actually accelerate people. I think when you take a people, person plus AI is better than a person alone. But AI alone is not good enough and won't generally create the creativity necessary. I think it's an accelerant. But what are the concerns you have about putting AI in into various, you know, business applications? If if machines and automation really eliminated jobs, we would have record high unemployment right now, and we don't. We have record low unemployment, right? And we're at, that's the tail end of 200 years of industrial automation, both with uh non-computerized machinery and with computerized machinery. So I don't think it replaces people. I just think people are going to have to retrain and upscale. We've got we've got a ton. We've got more open jobs than people looking for them. <laughs> 
So we need humans. We need humans to think. We need humans to be more productive than they've ever been. In many Western countries, we're on the verge of population collapse. Whether you believe that or not, we are. Statistically speaking, but anything below 2.2 something is population decline. You look at Japan and China and Russia, they're in population collapse. And so you, you've got, a, you've got a, a pretty large work burden that, that gets put on fewer people. And, um, you know, and you're seeing some consequences of COVID and people retiring and hopping out of the workforce and that we've got more open jobs than people who are searching for jobs right now. So we continue to have a tight labor market, which means that all these tools are going to help us actually continue to get things done. Right. I mean, it's, it's so there are going to be people who don't want to retrain, who don't want to change what they do and how they do it. And they are going to be disrupted, but that will be their choice with their choice to not re to not, to not retrain, to not upskill. Now I'm going to ask, cause you brought it up twice in the, even without prompting, you've sort of brought up the AGI and the, the downside science fiction side stuff. Now I tend yeah. not to ask this, but I'm curious. It sounds like you may even have a position kind of on that doomsday spectrum. Do you, where do you fall on that? <laughs> My dad said only the paranoid survive. Uh, and he said that to me enough times that it uh, got me a little paranoid. Uh, you know, you, get, you tell a kid that enough times they'll get a little paranoid. I, I think we've got to be realistic that there's a downside to all new technologies. There's a huge downside to nuclear weaponry. There just is right. It required a lot of legislation to protect ourselves from ourselves. That was a technology that could have wiped out the planet. There's a lot of there were there were downsides to carbon fluorocarbons, you know, CFCs. They punched holes in our ozone layer and you know, we had to regulate those. I mean, look, <laughs> I'm a capitalist. I'm like a really hardcore capitalist, but I also recognize that for capitalism to function, you have to have a minimally regulated uh, government framework that that allows it to to grow and scale and flex. And so you know, we're going to have some big downsides on this that are going to have to be regulated. And so I think all of these technologies and AI is going to be one of those ones that we're going to have to we're going to have to have a common set of framework around privacy and data ownership. And you're seeing that right now in the litigation that's occurring between content owners and the companies that are scraping that content to train all their AI uh, uh, machine learning models, like in all their well, all their AI models in general. Right, they're they're consuming vast troves of content, including copyrighted books. Now, I'm a I'm a book author, right? So, I don't want my book scraped. Uh, for unrecognized content, no revenue at all whatsoever, so that it could train a bot and it can use my content in a response on a on a question. You know, so there's a lot of things being worked out between the publishing houses and the intellectual property ownership uh, conglomerates around who owns the data too. Those can be quote unquote doomsday scenarios. the The big doomsday scenario that the fear mongers like to shove in everybody's face and is is really the the fear mongering around jobs disappearing permanently and i just don't think that the last 200 years have yielded enough evidence to to suggest that would happen um we 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 have more vacation time more sick time more leisure time than we ever have and we have the lowest unemployment rate in recorded history all positive, and I think we're we're simpatico on a lot of the the thinking. I always describe it as is is like, look, you know, I'm a full throated capitalist, but I want guardrails so that the the state of play is fair, and that yeah. we can we can all compete, and we understand. And there are some questions that you know do need to get get discussed 
with more than just the individual businesses, there are larger questions. Now, I want to actually pivot a little bit here because one of the other things that you've spent a lot of time focusing on is the idea of bootstrapping businesses. And I actually want to want to pivot here, but it's connected because this is one of those new technology areas where people have to make some level of investment, be it in skills, in education, and potentially in technology to get there. But if you're running a, the kinds of businesses that are bootstrapped, that generally thematically are often cash strapped, you know, how do you combine those two needs to invest in innovation while at the same time bootstrapping yourself to up as a business owner? Yeah, in bootstrapping, the reason I wrote a book about it, it's called Be Your Own VC, was because I, I really felt like there's a lot of books and a lot of discussion around how to put a pitch deck together and raise money. And there's not a lot of discussion about the fundamental tools needed to take nothing and turn it into something or take a little bit of something and turn it into something. You know, we we started this business with 5000 bucks in my dorm room. I used the five grand to buy a computer and some equipment and to fund my first few weeks of operations. I built a service business that allowed me to generate a profit. And then I consumed years and years and years of profit to build a product line. And then we took that product line to market in 06 became the second largest bidding network in North America for construction and sold it in 2018. And so, you, you know, we consumed a lot of capital to get there, but we generated the capital that we consumed with the services we delivered, right? Which is our bootstrapping model. Um, I think bootstrapping and innovation go well together. It's just the slow, painful way to innovate. Um, the reason I think they go well together is that you're generally building a machine that can actually run on the fuel that's in the tank rather than needing the tank constantly refilled with, with fuel from someone else. And so I think that's the, one of the key things is that bootstrapping builds efficient machines, not just machines that are high growth. And, um, if you look at, and look, I'm, I mean, full disclosure, I'm a limited partner in a few different VC funds. So I, I invest on the other side of this as a VC because I recognize where returns are and I'm a capitalist. Um, but I strongly recommend bootstrapping principles to all the companies that we invest in because, because they help them become more capital efficient. Growth at all costs is wonderful as long as greater fool theory applies, right? As long as there's a, a, a greater fool willing to, to pay a higher valuation than you paid, even though the company is not generating a profit yet, it works out great. But but you're looking at what happens on the opposite side of that market. You got a bunch of people on the tail end of the market because the ultimate tail end of the VC market, because you know, virtual you know venture capital, private equity, then the, the public markets. The public markets being very critical of companies that can't generate a profit, and they're not willing to pay the high multiples. And so when you don't have that big out, uh, then it then it compresses all the valuations below it, and you you, you see a whole lot of venture capital backed companies getting very concerned and trimming their workforces back about becoming cash flow neutral or cash flow positive. So I think bootstrapping really helps you build efficient machines that can last. At the same time, it's a very painful, very slow way to build a business. Growth at all costs allows you to build a high growth enterprise that can really do rapid market acquisition. I mean, look, uh, Chat GPT, OpenAI, I mean, they, they've consumed an incredible amount of capital before they started generating revenue. And I'm not sure that that would have been able, wouldn't been possible, like the giant quantum leap they did without, without venture capital. I don't know how they would have bootstrapped their way into what they did. And so I think there are some things that just really need outside capital. There's a lot of things that do not. And you end up with this wonderful thing at the end of the day if you bootstrap, and that's called control. You have control over your enterprise. 
And so it, uh, it allows you to make your own decisions and pivot and change without having to go raise another round. Well, that's a, that's a good place to end that. So, Jim, if people are interested in learning more, where's, where's a set of resources for them to find that? Yeah, you can find out about me and the book at jamesbenham.com. looks like B-E-N-H-A-M, jamesbenham.com. My company is called JB Knowledge. We've got almost 300 teammates, and we build software for the insurance industry. I've got a couple products and uh, really enjoyed being on the show. Thanks for sending people our way. And, of course, I'm very active on LinkedIn. You can just type in James Benham. I should be your number one search result under James Benham. So let me know if you need anything there. Awesome. James, thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Appreciate it. And uh, my podcast is called The InsureTech Geek. Check it out. Partner Hero is an outsourcing company that goes beyond industry norms to prioritize employee empowerment, career growth, and quality performance. They pay above market salaries and have a management team that includes individuals from the startup world, making them more than just a service provider. They're also a thought partner for startups. With flexible terms to let you scale quickly and offices around the world for global coverage, you get a thought partner for your business with quality assurance baked into every program. You know I believe in outsourcing. It's what IT services is all about. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash business of tech to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from Business of Tech and they'll waive the setup fee. The Business of Tech is written and produced by me, Dave Sobel, under ethics guidelines posted at businessof.tech. Like the content? Support the show at patreon.com slash mspradio or buy our Why Do We Care merch at businessof.tech. If you want to reach our listeners, visit mspradio.com slash engage. Part of the MSP Radio Network.